Hey, welcome to the Protectors. Excellent guests today. They are doing so much for the veteran community. I am here with Dan Goldberg from the Call of Duty Endowment. Um, he's done so much more than just the Call of Duty Endowment, and we'll get into that right now. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Jason. It's an honor to be here. It's you know I'm honored to have you on. I've had so many people from the actual Call of Duty game on. It's nice to have someone from like behind the scenes that's kind of making things happen for the veteran community. So let's get it before we get into the endowment. Let's talk about you. What's your background and and what would you like the audience to know about you? Sure. Um, I am a recent, fairly recently retired naval officer. Um, I did nine years active duty. Uh, got out literally a month before nine eleven. Uh, we got hit. I went back into the reserves and, and stayed in for another. What would that be? Uh, Eighteen or so years in the reserves. Uh, and finished out this past January. Um, I was really. I started off flying ETC Hawkeyes off carriers. Uh, Enterprise Eisenhower, name a few. Um, did, did a couple overseas tours, like most of us, and uh, then uh, ended up uh, as an intel officer in the reserves. Uh, and where I was really fortunate to have um, four commands across the time, which was the best, the best thing about it all. So when, uh, you know, to me, that was all about that opportunity to command and try and, you know, take care of your, your folks and, and get the mission done. And it was awesome. And uh, I went out on a high note uh, this past January uh, from that. At the same time, uh, when I left active duty, I went off to business school and from there started a civilian career for about a decade in management consulting and information services. And that was that was great. I learned a lot, uh, but this incredible opportunity came along in uh, 2013 to lead the Call of Duty Endowment, which is a foundation started by Bobby Kodik, who's the CEO of Activision Blizzard. And along with him, a number of uh, senior executives at the company started this, um, the, the, this nonprofit with the very focused mission of helping get as many veterans as possible into high quality jobs. And so my mission when, when I um, uh, took the lead was to find a way to really sort through the tens of thousands. Last I checked a couple months back, 68,000 nonprofits with the word veteran in their name in the United States, uh, 68,000. So, you know, a lot of those are local VFW halls, things like that, but a lot of them aren't. And the bottom line is there's a whole lot of organizations run by well-meaning people out there. Um, and, you know, they're, they're trying their best, but a lot of them just quite frankly, aren't that effective. So our mission was to find, you know, sort of the needle in the haystack, the most effective organizations we could find out there that were helping vets get jobs, help them grow and really have an impact on the veteran employment situation. Um, so that's what we've been doing for the last 10, almost 11 years now. And um, through it, we've been able to fund the placement of 72,000 vets and jobs at the end of last quarter. Um, the need continues to be great, as you can imagine. Um, last quarter, we saw a 31% increase compared to the same time last year of vets uh, seeking help finding jobs. So we're as focused on ever of not just helping vets find jobs, but find high quality employment. I like how you said high quality employment too, because I've been um, I've been volunteering with several organizations over the past years, whether that's nonprofits and uh, specifically in the veteran hiring initiatives, especially Hire Heroes USA. And there are so many veterans getting out that have really just very limited opportunities because they don't know about the opportunities. Yeah. And saying that your focus, it's more like your laser focus. 72,000 positions is more than, it's more than, 
a lot of people understand. They think, oh, well, you know, there's 250,000 veterans leaving a year. So, you know, well, it's easy for them to get jobs, but to get high quality jobs is another story than going down and getting a, you know, a minimum wage job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we learned, you know, if you can rewind about six months when we weren't in, you know, the COVID world that we're all living through right now, uh, when the economy seemed really strong, there was a fallacy because every every month the Department of Labor puts out these numbers, uh, the veteran unemployment rate. And for years and years, you know, folks have been the, the press, politicians, everyone was saying, look, these Bureau of Labor statistic numbers are great. Veterans are doing well. But we'd seen a different story, um, honestly, for the last few years, which was, yeah, they had jobs. They just weren't good ones. What we heard a lot anecdotally was I'm working a job. I'm working three jobs, but I can barely pay the rent. Uh, I can't take care of my family. So for us, it's always been about high quality. And we, we measure that actually um, on a quarterly basis. We look at what is the average starting salary? Are the vets still in these jobs six and 12 months later? And is this full-time or part-time work? And you need to look at all three to really say if something is a quality job. And, you know, I, I think also we have to take a broader notion of what quality employment means. Um, you know, I think folks have this idea of 21st century jobs, people in lab coats or working in nanotechnology or, and the fact of the matter is, you know what a great 21st century job is? Being a plumber. The average age of a plumber in this country is about 58. If you've had a higher one recently, you know they do okay. They can run their own business. They can work in a company. We're not offshoring that job anywhere. There's a huge need. Uh, so, you know, we have to really think about what is, so, so th those are the filters we use to measure that. At, at the same point, we know um, that, you know, we, when we saw these numbers and we saw the disconnect between what the government was saying with vet unemployment, what we we're hearing, we decided to study it. And what we found was one out of three vets are underemployed. That means they're working beneath their experience and skills, skill sets. You know, what um, a non-vet with the same experience level and skill set should be, they are not doing as well as them. Um, and then it's interesting, LinkedIn did a great study back in November where they validated it and they found the same thing. Um, veterans are 16% more likely to be underemployed than non-vets, um, et cetera, et cetera. So quality matters a lot. Um, that's the short the short story is don't just go in for the unemployment rate. The U.S. unemployment rate, by the way, is based off one question. One question, Jason. Here it is. Last week, were you paid for work? If you answer yes to that question, you are considered fully employed. So you worked eight hours as a barista, fully employed. You uh you know, mowed your neighbor's lawn for 30 bucks, fully employed. Um, you drilled in the Garter Reserve last weekend, but don't have a civilian job, fully employed. So got to be really careful when you look at those numbers. Um, they don't tell the full story. You know, veterans have, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't, I never knew that was one of the, the key questions was, are, did you get paid last that week? That is the key question. That is what they ask. So um, I can nerd out on it all day, but essentially... The, uh, the numbers that you hear, you know, the jobless yeah. report, um, that comes from the Bureau of Labor, Labor Statistics. They, in turn, get their number from the Census Department. So we think of the census as every 10 years. But the fact of the matter is, since 1940, every single month, they've been doing a survey called the CPS. Mm -hmm. has all these questions in it. But the one question they ask, which the Labor Department uses for the unemployment rate was, were you paid for work last week? And that's it. That's the U.S. unemployment rate, my friend. Not a great number. No, it's not. Because when you think about how veterans, and you know, just as well as I do, I mean, you've been in, you know, you had a whole career in it. I did 13 years, five active. And 
everyone I've met, either from the, the private on up to the major, the colonel or whoever, is a master of multitasking. Mm -hmm. And they're a master of keeping themselves busy as well. And if you give them a, a menial job where they're working three menial jobs and you combine that into one, well, a job that they're actually going to enjoy and want to go to and wake up in the morning and go to, that's a career, you know? Yep. Absolutely. Right. And look, finding out that, that great match um, in what you do for a living is hard for everyone. It's not just a veteran problem, right? It is. Some people would say it's the question and you got to admire and kind of maybe even envy those who found that, that calling. Right. And that's what you're talking about. It's a calling. It's, yeah. you know, I would do you, you occasionally you hear people in life say, I would do this for free. Um, like that's the dream. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, the, the reality is for a lot of us to get there, it, it, it doesn't happen the first time out. You've got to, you know, it, it's kind of like this wave that nulls out over time. You've got to, you know, try something, try to get it pretty close. And in doing it, you realize what you like and you realize what you don't like. And that helps you do a little better the next time. And that's what a lot of us go through, um, you know. But at the same point, a lot of folks, when they get out of the military, they're older than your typical high school graduate, obviously. Yeah. Um, they have more, you know, m more money, more problems, right? They've got, uh, but no, seriously, they've got, you know, family. They're more likely yeah. to be married and have kids and they got to provide. And, you know, especially if you start looking at single parents and whatnot, it's like, hey, I can't be picky. I've got to get out there and see what I can do. And um, but but then after a time, you realize, gosh, maybe I've gotten myself into something that I don't love so much and I could do better. Um, the other thing about that LinkedIn study that was really interesting, and there are two ways to kind of um, look at it, is um, veterans in their first job tend to get promoted a lot faster than non-veterans. And it's a lot faster. It's, it's a big number. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's like 40%. And, and at first you might say, wow, that's really impressive. That's vets at, the, at their best, just going out there and kicking ass. But another way to look at it is they got hired in beneath their, their level, right? And, the, and eventually the company realized it, or the employer realized it, and said, okay, we got to do something about this. But that tells me a lot of folks are probably undersettling themselves as well. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Underselling themselves. That is the biggest issue I have. And it's not, a, I shouldn't say it's an issue. It's the biggest concern I have whenever I speak to veterans and I'm helping them out because my specialty is federal law enforcement. So I always like at one time I was getting two or three applicants a week that wanted to talk about how do I get into this? How do I do that? And they go through the transitions assistance programs and they get the basic general resume. I think most of them sent me the resume that I, the same type of resume I had back from the 1990s when I first got out is they are so under reporting of what they've done in their career. I've had squad leaders who have like, you know, commanded troops in battle who have put in like, you know, I'm, I'm a team leader. I've, I've done this, I've done that, but they don't put that they've actually deployed overseas and done anything. I'm like, you have to get that stuff in there. You have to, because not every, in the civilian world, it's tough for them to understand that really the magnitude of experience you have. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, look, having been an infantry officer yourself, you know, I can't tell you how many times I hear I'm just a door kicker from, from infantrymen. And it's like, you're so much more, you're so much more. I mean, compare yourself to the kids you graduated high school with. Now you're 22 compare what you've done in life at this point to what they've done in life by and large, you know, most of them, they've been students on a college campus or, or they've got some jobs in retail or something like that. You've led in incredibly stressful conditions with limited resources overseas. 
in multicultural environments, having to get along with everyone. You've gotten world-class training. I mean, it's it's sort of sort of astounding. You have every reason in the world to be confident. And you know, it's funny. Every now and then I'll see with senior NCOs and senior officers, I'll see a little overconfidence, but usually it's not that. I'd say 90% of the yeah. time it's underconfidence. Um, I have a friend who's a fighter pilot. He was test pilot of the year in the Navy, commanded a squadron in combat, flown something like more than 80 different kind of aircraft, has a master's in systems engineering. And he was ready to follow the herd mentality. He's like, well, I, I guess I'm going to have to go work at a defense contractor. I'm like, that's great if that's what you want. But is that you what you want? And he's like, well, actually, I'd like to do something more entrepreneurial. Uh, and I said, well, let's talk about that. And, you know, ultimately, he landed up in a great situation. It took more work and more thought. But I'm just sort of amazed. What it really was was confidence building to say to him, look, you got this. You're gonna have to, it's going to be different. But you've got what it takes to, to go for what you really want. Um, you got to take a little risk. I, I think, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I did a short Pentagon tour many years ago and a senior Pentagon official who'd been there forever scratched his head and said, you know, what I don't understand about you military guys, meaning uniform types, is you're willing to risk your lives, but you're almost never willing to risk your careers. And like, you know, I think there, there's a lot of lessons in that, but, you know, essentially it's saying sometimes you got to take a risk to get what you want. And, and you know, th there's that takes confidence because it's a different, you know, it's a different battle environment if you will. So, um, you know, we, we try to do that. One of the really great things is our, our partners who we work with, the 12 nonprofits that we fund currently, um, they're all really good at this. They all have either vets themselves or military spouses or people who are parents of military, people who get you and help build that confidence up, translate what you did in a way that will be valuable to take that infantryman and explain like, well, no, you were not just a door kicker. You actually have skills that are valued by many companies. Let's figure out what you want to do. And then let's connect what you did with what they're going to value and get you a job. So, you know, that's if, if you've had honorable military service, you have a lot to be optimistic about. Yeah. I'm, you know, you've brought up a lot of things that I've never even thought about before is that, you know, you under under what was that word we were just talking about? Where it's you. Um, the confidence, under, yeah. yeah. Under confidence, because. You've, they've done so much in their careers and, but they get tunnel vision. They're like, okay, well, you know, you always compete against other people, your peers and everyone else. And you're like, well, this guy over here got out and he got a job doing such and such as a contractor for $200,000 a year, but they may be miserable. They may be working 68 hours a week. They work on a one contract and their livelihood may be at jeopardy at any time the wind blows and the contract gets canceled. And to find something that you value, a job that you value, is it's tough to get that through people to tell them, hey, look, you are, you have the ability to do anything. And one great thing you brought up was the entrepreneurship. There have been so many veterans I've known that have gone on to make uh, successful small businesses that are now at the mid-level uh, areas where they're making multiple million dollars a year after they put the hard work in. But there's so many opportunities out there for us. I mean, We've been at war for 19, almost 20 years now. Uh, so much experience has come out of that and so much opportunity after the wars. We have yeah. to get that opportunity. Yeah, you know, there's so many great stories about that. Nick Irving, um, Ranger Sniper, um, he, he, he he's almost what you just described. The guy who, who got out for financial reasons, he decided to go back as a contractor, make all this money, 
And one day he just had this epiphany that, um, you know, what am I doing here? I'm, why am I going back for this? It's, you know, it's, it's, it's not what I want to be doing. I'm doing it for the wrong reasons. And he, uh, I mean, the guy was in financial extremists, but stayed to his vision. He decided he wanted to write and he ended up writing his very first book was a New York times bestseller novel, you know? Um, I mean, it took a lot of guts, right. To go from, you know, being a ranger sniper to, um, you know, becoming an author. Not everybody has the gift. A lot of people think they have the gift. They don't, but he did. Or you take the founder of Black Rifle Coffee. Um, you know, I, I remember reading an interview with him. He'd been through all kinds of, of, you know, hell on deployments. And he said the most stressful moment of his life that brought him to his knees was, you know, in the course of launching his startup. It was, you know, but but he, they, these guys gutted through it. Um, you know, you got the stuff to do it. You, you, you can hack hardship, right? Um, it's just how, you know, how good is your idea? How committed are you to achieving it? And, you know, are you able to marshal the resources and, and network to get it done? Abs networking, absolutely yeah. networking. You have to get out of your comfort zone and talk to civilians, but also remain in contact with all your military brethren and everybody else too, because you have to network within this. You have to build relationships. Now, Call of Duty, how does the Call of Duty endowment begin? That's one thing I wanted to know. Yeah, so so sort of the, the the way we were founded was back in 2007, Bobby Kodik, who's the CEO of Activision Blizzard, the longest serving tech CEO, it's coming up on 30 years as CEO and probably one of the top three most tenured Fortune 500 CEOs. He'd known for a long time that, you know, the, the company Activision Blizzard had benefited through Call of Duty from, you know, the, the sort of study and um, uh, honoring of the military ethos. Uh, that he, he wanted to find a way to give back. And initially, uh, Bobby's really into arts in LA. Um, so he went to the secretary of the VA back in 2007, a guy by the name of Jim Nicholson, pretty great salty guy. And he said, hey, Jim, I'd like to open this art facility on the West LA VA campus um, to, for vets to help them you know, express themselves artistically. It'd all be for free. And Jim, for those who know him, like I said, pretty salty guy. He's, he looked at back at Bobby and said, Bobby, I don't know if you've seen the unemployment rate for vets right now, but vets don't need fucking free art. They need jobs. Hmm. And uh, I think a lot of what people would have been turned off by that. But Bobby was, you know, he's a, a quintessential entrepreneur. And he said, huh, I wonder what we could do about that. And so that's what convinced him and a number of executives at the company to found the Call of Duty Endowment launch it in 2009. And I think because the foundation has adopted the same corporate strategy, something we call it Activision Blizzard narrow and deep, which means we just try and do a couple of things really well. We go deep on them. We understand them. Well, that's what we do. We don't try to do. a. There's many, many worthy causes in the veteran space. Our belief, though, is the single best thing you can do for the most veterans to help them is help them get meaningful employment. Everything else invariably gets better if you have meaningful work, right? You're connected to people. You can put a roof over your head. You have more self-respect. You have connection. Um, you know, you 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 really truly get integrated in civilian society. If you have a good job, you have medical benefits, et cetera, et cetera. So um, that was the belief, and it was like, let's stay on target. Let's focus on that. Let's learn about it, understand it, and once we do, um, you know, find the best organizations out there, figure out how we can help them to the maximum effect and put our resources against that. And that's really what we've been doing. 
we've been really fortunate um, in 2013. First four years, it was a lot of it was figuring it out till 2013. Um, and at that point, we came up with this model to find finally like you know separate the wheat from the chaff, find the highest performing nonprofits that do the most good for the most vets. We partnered with Deloitte. Deloitte's been an incredible partner for us for seven years to assess them. And we implemented this model. So first four years, we funded the placement of a thousand vets and jobs. After we introduced the screening model called the seal of distinction, um, since then 71,000 vets. Um, and it was all about that. It was all about finding those key um, sort of evaluation points to you know, understand what makes an effect, a nonprofit effective in this space. And, you know, by and large, it's been really, really successful. So our average cost to place a job, a vet in a job last year was 499 bucks. That's one sixth the cost of the federal government's efforts. Um, average starting salary was over 60,000, um, which is almost double the national starting salary average. Um, average uh, percent of jobs that were for full-time employment was 94%. And 88, 89% of those who go into these jobs six months later, they're still in those jobs, which means people are voting with their feet. Ultimately, that's a reflection of good fit between the vet and the company. Good for the company, good for the vet. Um, so, yeah, it's um, that's how we got there. I'm convinced it's this discipline from the company of narrow and deep. Um, we don't get distracted by other stuff. There's a lot, like I said, we don't even do spouse employment very worthy cause it's just we feel to be really good at this we have to stay narrow the other really cool thing is financially um activism blizzard covers all of our operating costs so um and they donate money to the grant fund as well but that means any money we raise every single cent goes directly to veteran employment grants which is really neat as a nonprofit to be able to say every cent we raise goes directly to our mission um so it's it's been great and it's you know it's been this incredible partnership um, especially with Activision Blizzard, also with Deloitte and a number of other partners too. I did not know all of this was going on behind the scenes in Call of Duty Endowment. I just was like, okay, well, hey, sounds like a really cool people to have on the show. And then I found out about the employment thing. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. But I didn't realize like how much was really going on behind the scenes as far as like, you know, 72,000 people employed, but in good jobs, 94 was it 94 percent are still employed with those within those positions? 89 percent in um are employed six months later but 94 percent of the jobs are full-time work yeah. we're always trying huge. to push that harder that is huge that's that's uh, incredible um, we keep pushing you know we, we coach our our grant our, our grantees our partners to you know keep those numbers up and um they're they're always getting better all the time they're it's an amazing group like higher heroes usa you mentioned them earlier they're mm -hmm. great Casey, that's Corporate America Sports. You actually, they're, they're just changing to Vet Jobs, the rebranding, but Vet Jobs or Casey, they're one, they're fantastic. Uh, those are two of the big national ones. We also have Still Serving Vets out of Alabama. Um, and, and, you know, they work with different populations. Um, so we've got more regional ones. So we've got Veterans Inc. in New England. We've got Salvation Army Community Integration Services and JVS SoCal out in LA, US Vets, kind of the Southwest area. And they work with different populations. So, you know, you take, uh, for instance, Salvation Army Community Integration Services. They work purely with homeless vets, 100%. They have are one of the four to five vets of those vets end up getting employed. And similarly to our other numbers, more than 80% of them are still in those jobs six months later. That's a pretty great statement, right? 
they're amazing with that. They don't do a huge number of placements because it's very, as you can imagine, intensive to work with these vets to get them mm-hmm. to the point where they're right. They do amazing work. And then you've got, like I said, higher heroes are working nationally. They're working a lot with transitioning service members and at Casey or slash vet jobs. They're really known for their ability to work with guardsmen and reservists nationally. They've got MOUs with almost half the guard state guard bureaus in the country. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a mix of these different kind of organizations that are doing incredible work. The other group I have to shout out is our employees at Activision Blizzard. Um, we could not do what we do without them. There's not a function in the company that doesn't pitch in, whether it's marketing, uh, legal, PR, um, supply chain, our, our game developers, just everyone. It, it's it's unbelievable how engaged our employees are with helping, helping in, you know, whether it's raising money or improving our site or amping up social media or helping our partners. They're just all on board. Our, our one thing we do to volunteer in the community every year across the whole company is the Veterans Day of Service. So it's a company that's, again, there's the narrow and deep, right? Just really committed to the cause. Uh, Cole, duty, you know, I've been a big fan since inception and I still play it to this day. <laughs> so does my son. But it's really a, a it's different platform because, you know, it's such a social um, game. And I got to tell you this, just as, you know, a veteran, you know, when you transition out, me, I got out in 2006 and when I, I was an IRR guy, individual ready reserve. Yeah. So when I got out, I was just, I just went back home. I didn't have any support network and everything. And through playing video games and through building the networks, I used to just chat for hours with civilians and this and that and everything else. Uh, so when I saw that, you know, Call of Duty was actually giving back to the veteran community, it, it actually helps it's not just like it's it's like this big huge profit driven uh game that's taken over the world but it's actually it's great to see that they're they're giving back to the community yeah i mean honestly the company's driven over 40 million dollars to this effort already so it's a big deal this is not a token corporate program this is our you know our whole company embraces it and works hard um to help vets get jobs it's a big deal and it's interesting you say that we recently partnered with Flo Gro- Groberg, a Medal of Honor recipient, yeah. uh, who happens to be an ap- avid Call of Duty player as well. Um, so we did this pack together in the in the, in Modern Warfare and Warzone to raise funds for the endowment. It was very successful, um, thanks to this incredible partnership between Flo and our and our developers. Um, Flo actually sent us a bunch of pictures from personal pictures from his time in service that inspired the pack. Our devs worked from those pictures and then sent it to him. He gave them feedback on realism and whatnot. And so we finally had a pack and it did incredibly well. So we, one of the things we invited Flo to do was speak to the company. Um, obviously, COVID environment, so it all had to be virtual. But Flo, was, he's been so so amazing to work with. And so he um, did this uh, talk to the company. And one of the things he noted, which blew everyone away, I think not so much the vets in the company, because we kind of knew this already, but he said, oh, yeah, the way I t- stay in touch with my buddies from service are is by playing Call of Duty. Uh, and I can't tell you how much meaning that gave to people at, at the company who make the game because it's something they hadn't realized. And to know that that's a way, you know, battle buddies stay connected over the years or shipmates, for that matter, in my world, um, you know, it just means a lot. And, and it, it's just great to hear. It's the absolute truth. And um, I've got the flow pack. And oh, you know, thank I've, got you. All of them. <laughs> I've had a two lamb on the show. And two was in uh, he's a Ronin character. Yeah. And yeah, two was an amazing operator in real life. Uh, 
he's what you see in the game is really what he's like in real life. Incredible person. And um, everybody, like a lot of the characters, the real life characters are just true, genuine people. You know, I'm, I'm friends with uh, the character Alex, who's Chad. Yeah. In real life. And uh, Chad is such a genuine person. He's been doing charity streams with me. I mean, just there's really good people involved with this game. And uh, kind of lost track over the years of the Call of Duty. But now that they're back within this this genre it's such a it's such a cool thing to get out there and just like flo said you get to chat with people that you haven't chat with in a while yeah. you get to sit and just you know chat and not uh and not deal with everyday difficulties covid and everything else so i really appreciate well, jason I, I think you really love the new game too because that's you and me we, we cut across both the cold war era yeah. and yeah and, and the post 9 11 era right so uh, Let's uh, let's talk. Hey, can you say anything about the new game? Because my that's about all I can say. Oh, come <laughs> on! I'm to... For itself, but Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War is uh, it, yes. it's it, it's going to feel pretty familiar in a lot of ways and, and pretty awesome. And you know, I'm trying to explain to my son who's 12 and yeah. um about he's like because I'm looking at the helmet, I'm kind of giving him ideas of kind of what the guns like and and all the weapons were during those genres. Uh, during those years and it's it's funny it's going to be an interesting experience so yeah. i'm really looking forward to it and i'm really looking forward to supporting every uh the call of duty endowment and everything you guys are doing um is there uh, a way the audience can support you oh well listen you know the, the the best thing you can do if you're obviously if you're an employer um and you, you want to help vets um you can go to our site uh there's a lot of opportunities you just click on uh ways you can help and you'll, you'll see that that's it's call of duty endowment.org call of duty endowment.org. Um, but also if you're a vet who needs help with employment, um, we'll connect you through the site with our partners as well. Um, so we, we've had a lot of success in that regard as well. And you can be rest, be, you can rest assured that those partners are thoroughly, thoroughly vetted and, and very, very good at what they do. Of course, if you're in a position to donate, um, you can be rest assured that every cent you give will go directly. Every cent the endowment gets will go directly to putting vets in jobs. Um, and you can do that through in-game purchases of packs. There isn't one in the current game right now, but watch the space. Um, <laughs> and uh, or, or just donate directly through a site. But any of those ways are great ways to be involved. Um, and we're, we're just, you know, thrilled for anybody partnering in any way to uh, to, to help our vets. Yeah, and I always tell people, Mike, it doesn't always have to come down to monetary. If you can't afford it, share, like, um, and push out the message of what's going on out there. Because Yeah, you know, one thing we didn't talk about, but I'll say this too, is, um, you know, another way to give, it's not through us, but uh, through mentorship. If you're in a good position or you're in a, like, well-advanced in your career or even midway, midway in your career and you want to give, there's an incredible um, mentoring platform called Veterati. If you don't know it, you do not have to be a vet. Anybody anywhere in a career who thinks um, they have some info to share, you just volunteer. It's one hour at a time. It's a great application, great way. Just one more way to help, even if you know financially, uh, you know the financial route isn't isn't appropriate for you. You can mentor as well. Yeah, I, and I've been with Veterati for years now, so uh, it's really easy. Yeah. You get a text, and boom, it's all good to go. It's very it's very user friendly. So I appreciate that. Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Jason. I really appreciate it. It was great talking with you.